1: Welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. With the great pleasure, we bring in a dear friend, Mick Mulvaney, former White House chief of staff. He was my chief. He's a former OMB budget director, all during the Trump administration. He's also a former member of Congress. So, Mick Mulvaney, welcome back.
0: Morning, Larry. I like that intro from Wall Street to the White House. Do we have to go back to Wall Street after that, or do we get to go back to the White House? How does that
1: end? <laughs> I don't know. You tell me. (laughs) You probably know more about that than I do. Anyway, uh, this being Memorial Day, excuse me, Decoration Day, we want to make America great, preserving our freedoms. And, you know, Mick, uh, the budget, uh, the CBO budget came out. You're an expert on this. Once upon a time, I worked in the budget office a long while ago. And... I just want to read a couple of numbers because, I mean, we're going to have to make radical changes, I think, in the budget story if we are to achieve much more rapid economic growth of 3.5%, which we had for 50 years after World War II, but we've slowed to 1.5%. So here's some quick numbers. Um, the deficit uh, is estimated to increase in the next 10 years by nearly $16 trillion. $16 trillion. $16 trillion. Uh, Federal spending is the problem, not revenues. The government is set to spend 23.2% of GDP over the next decade. Uh, That is well above the 20.8% average of the prior 50 years, Mick. I mean, that's a big, big differential. And then just let me read a couple of quick ones. Uh, The trillion-dollar infrastructure bill, which was never paid for, is now estimated to cost 678 billion more in outlays. So score that as 1.6 or 1.7 trillion. The Omnibus Appropriations bill was supposed to increase spending by 88 billion. It turns out it's been reestimated. It's going to be 1.1 trillion, okay, with regulatory changes, there um, and public health changes. Uh, welfare is expected to rise by 315 billion more than original estimates and the Obamacare premiums uh, that were in the emergency bill the Democrats passed 144 billion more over the next decade I mean these are outrageous numbers one more number is this uh, silly China competes bill that's um, going to make us more china than China uh, 350. $350 billion. I mean, Mick, this is the stuff that has to be changed. And um, we could talk about a balanced budget, but I want to get your expertise. We can't go on like this. We cannot go on like this and fulfill prosperity.
0: No, you, you can't. And, of course, the difficulty that guys like you and I have is that we've been saying this for 20 years and it hasn't happened yet, but now you look at these numbers and go – Holy cow, this is this is even worse than, than we thought it was going to be. Focus on a couple things, Larry, because there's so many numbers. You and I both know we've done enough uh, CBO projections together. We've not done enough budgets together. There's just an avalanche of numbers. I look at just a couple of them. You talked about revenues and expenses as a percentage of GDP. That's the way to look at it because the dollar today is not the same as the dollar in 1980, etc., when we passed um, the, the the Trump tax cuts in 2017, the government was taking in about 17.5% of uh, of the GDP in tax revenues. That's how much money was coming in as a percentage of GDP. This year, they expect it to be 19.6% in the CBO projections. We cut taxes and grew government revenues. By the way, we are a record on the percentage of, of taxes that we take in as a percentage of GDP and the dollar amounts that come in. We have – plenty of money. Uh, the other one we talked about, you just mentioned, is the re- expenditures as a percentage of GDP. The average over the last 50 years is just over 20%. If we had maintained that, Larry, we would be near a balanced budget this right. year. The spending is out of control.
1: Well, that's it. It's interesting, even the CBO acknowledged the supply-side incentive effects uh, from the Trump tax cuts, especially the corporate tax cuts. So we beat all those revenue estimates. And by the way, the CBO does acknowledge that the overly generous unemployment benefits and other related work benefits did, in fact, stop the labor market recovery. They actually said that. And they also had a pitch in there for workfare. I mean, CBO's come a long way. But even with all that, the spending is exploding. And I, I don't know, I mean... You know, if we were back in office, I would think we would want to put on the table a balanced budget plan, a pro-growth balanced budget plan that deals with the spending problem. But I don't hear that anymore. And the other one, I mentioned this to you when you were on the set for the TV show, you know, the word pay for. I never hear the word pay for. And I remember Rob Portman, of all people, a former budget director, a very smart guy, center from Ohio, a friend of ours. You know, Rob Portman was telling me with the infrastructure bill, well, even though it was scored as a huge deficit, they, did, they, they disregarded the number. Senator Mark Warner told me the same thing. He said, oh, we don't agree with those numbers. Yeah, okay. Yeah. You don't agree with those numbers. Right. Well, here they are coming back even larger.
0: You know, it's hard to start uh, on, on, you know, you don't want to sit here and spend all day pointing blame. But face it, we we have not done the best job as a party. The Republican Party has not done as good a job as we can. To your point, we don't even talk about it much anymore. We're still talking about the 2020 election, for goodness sakes. I guess I'm now a a moderate and Republican and only uh, name only because I think a balanced budget amendment is, is important, more important than rehashing the old election. But We've had our chances, and we, we, we didn't do as good a job as we could have. People forget that we had a balanced budget vote on the floor of the House, I think, back in 2012 or 13. And our good friend Paul Ryan voted against it, uh, mostly because it didn't have what he called the taxpayer protection, protection against tax increases. But we've we've had the chance in the past and have not done it. I hope we get another chance again. I hope we get a chance to take the House here in a couple of months in the Senate and then put Republican back it in 2024 and prove to people that we do have the discipline to spend less. They've given us a couple chances in the past. We've not done as good as we possibly can. We're still doing better than Democrats by a wide margin.
1: Well, of course, Democrats are into this modern monetary theory right now that you can spend as much as you want and print as much money as you want, and it's going to all be okay. The trouble is it wound up with an
0: 8 to 10 percent inflation rate. I and mean, yeah, you, 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 you read that the theory is actually very interesting. The theory is <laughs> – and you and I have talked about this other television program, which is the, the MMT, is that you can spend – you can print as much money as you want as long as it doesn't create inflation. That's the thesis, right? Well, my question, and to you and you and I shared this, was, okay – that's fine. That sort of looks backward over the last 40 years in this country and said, OK, that's actually happened. We've printed a bunch of money and it hasn't created a lot of inflation. But what happens when it does? And MNT doesn't answer that. And of course, here we are with where it does create inflation. So MMT ends now because they always said you can spend as much as you want to until you have inflation, but didn't say what to do after you have inflation. Because there is no coming back from printing all that dough other than spending a lot less.
1: Well, you need to call Joe Biden and tell him that it's over. MMT is over. You need I need tell to call him, him and
0: tell him that his, his, his OMB <laughs> numbers are all wrong. I don't know if you know you and I used to slave through these projections. And the projections are the most interesting part of budgets and CBO documents. Not, you know, not where are we today. Everybody sort of knows where we are, but where do we think they're going to be? If you go into the CBO report, Larry, they'll show you that the Biden administration projections on GDP are way too high. Their projections on inflation are way too low. Their projections on unemployment are way too low. It's it's crazy. You and I would never have been able to get away with projections like the Biden team is putting out now uh, when we are in the Trump administration.
1: Debt held in public hands is estimated to hit 109% of GDP at the end of the 10-year period. 109% of GDP. Now, I've never been the debt hawk or the deficit hawk that some people are in the Republican Party. I'm in the supply side wing of the public. I want us to grow, but we're not growing. And I guess (laughs) I've softened on this because I didn't really anticipate 109% of GDP. That's a big number. That is such a big number, and it's so out of the usual boundaries that I'm not sure what the heck it's going to mean. I just know it can't be good.
0: Now, one of the things it means is that we're going to pay a larger and larger percentage of our revenues in interest as your debt gets higher. We've, we've benefited for the last 20 years or at least the last 10 of our outrageously low, that near zero uh, interest rate uh, environment. And the government has been a huge uh, beneficiary of that because it hasn't cost them very much to carry all of this debt. But at 30 trillion dollars. You know, a one percent increase on uh, on on your borrowing costs is three hundred billion dollars. It's a huge, huge number. And if you look at the CBO projections, um, even now they're still projecting that the inflation this year is only two point four percent. Yeah. So all the projections that you've seen could actually be much worse next year. They say um, uh, the interest on the ten year will be two point nine. It's already at two point eight as you and I have this conversation. So that interest as a percentage of what we spend uh, is going to be bigger than everything in our budget other than Social Security, Medicare, and defense here in the next couple of years. And that's where you get to that crowding out, where we spend money on interest as opposed to spending Mm -hmm. on other things or paying down the debt. Um, We also crowd out with the private sector, of course. we talk about that later. But that interest is what people should be focused on because that is debilitating.
1: By the way, it's going to crowd out defense spending in the budget. And we're spending a lot of money on defense Uh, I like that a lot. But nonetheless, all these factors will make it harder to spend on defense. And, Mick, Democrats, both parties have this thing now where Republicans want to spend more on defense. Democrats want to spend more on domestic. So what happens? We just spend more on both. All right. There is no discipline. There's, There's no Graham Rudman targets. There's no sequestration. There's no nothing.
0: Yeah, I used to get people say, oh, why isn't there there more bipartisanship in Washington, D.C.? And I said, listen, there's a great deal of bipartisanship (laughs) on one or two issues. They said, what are those? I said, well, one is spending. Everybody likes spending money. You're right. Uh, There is a a fiscal conservative wing uh, of the party. I know they're there. I used to be one of them. Um, But the center of gravity in Washington is to spend more. When the Republicans are in charge, we want to spend more on defense. And to get Democrat support for that, we give them more money for their social spending. When they're in charge, they want to spend more money on social spending, and they get our support by giving us a little bit more money for defense. That's the way the system has always worked. You never negotiate down in Washington. You always negotiate up. You don't get $30 trillion in debt because of one party. Um, this is uh, Washington has been doing this for a long time. All
1: right. Let's take a quick break, Mick Mulvaney, former budget director, former chief of staff, former House member. Uh, I want to come back and talk about what we can do about this. We're going to have to deal with domestic spending, social spending. We're going to have to deal with some of these entitlements. And we're also going to have to grow the economy a whole lot faster to make up for revenues. Anyway, I'm Larry Kudlow, folks. We'll be right back with Mr. Mick Mulvaney.
0: From Wall Street to the White House,
1: this is The Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome back, folks. We're talking to Mick Mulvaney. Mulvaney, former budget director, OMB budget director, former chief of staff in the Trump administration, former uh, congressman from South Carolina. You know, Mick, you are our best chief of staff. I just want want to say that on the record. You are our best chief of staff. I lived. We had four. I lived through three. Uh, Kellyanne Conway is coming on again later in the show. She also believes you are our best chief of staff. But one of the reasons was you knew policy and you knew numbers. Now you and your then deputy and then later budget director Russ vote, and I always backed you in the Oval. Um, we did put together on paper at least a balanced budget, as I recall. Do you recall? I mean, what was in the, Russ and I and and Newt uh, and Steve Moore working on a balanced budget plan? For the America First Policy Institute, which we hope will be a road roadmap. And again, it's a it's a it's not a tax hike plan. It would keep the Trump tax cuts, uh, limit spending, deregulate, go back towards energy independence, have a strong dollar and so forth. But to get there, we're going to have to make tough choices. And one of them is going to have to be on social spending, meaning the small entitlements, plus make the large entitlements. Uh, Medicare and Social Security. What, what, what can reasonably be done with those?
0: Yeah, that team that you just mentioned, you and Steve and Russ, there's some really, really sharp people in there. And I remember, I can't remember which budget it was, but one of the proposals that we put together as a group was, okay, since there's no attitude in Washington towards cutting spending, let's just freeze it until revenues catch up. Mm-hmm. Um, and by doing that, I think, I think the, the year that Russ took over for me as budget director, his budget uh, offered a, a, a pathway to balance within the 10-year – what we call the 10-year budget window. My guess is that will be the last budget proposal for a long time from Democrats or Republicans that actually gets there because it's just – once you start spending all this money, it's hard to do. But Russ did some tremendous work. How do you do it, though, Larry? That's the more important, you know, we are all again, not interested in laying blame. What do you do from here on out? You've just hit that nail on the head. Everything you've just described is the supply side economic theory. And that's what we proved during the Trump administration works. If you lower taxes, try and put a little bit of restraint on spending, deregulate, have, a, have an aggressive uh, pro-energy policy, you can have growth. Uh, you can have economic wealth for your your friends and family. You can have the government with enough money to do business. You can have full employment, and you can have that without inflation. That's that magic formula that only the supply side has been able to give us, and I hope that's that's one of the lessons of the Trump administration that history writes, is that supply side works, and if any future administration is looking for a formula on how to fix the economy, it's sitting there between 2017 and 2021.
1: But even I don't think... Supply-side growth will balance the budget. I mean, I think there has to be uh, some pretty tough limits on spending.
0: Yeah, that's right. That's why that that approach of freezing spending until revenues catch up is probably the best chance that we have. By the way, keep in mind, in Washington, D.C., if you spend $100 on a program one year and then you spend $100 on that same program the next year, they call that a cut. Yeah, I'm not, and I'm not making that up. You you know how the, the the CBO baseline works, and the CBO will tell you, well, if you spent 100 last year, you're supposed to spend 103 this year. And if you don't, all the Democrats will run around saying you cut spending. I cannot tell you mm-hmm. the number of times I stood in that podium in, in the in the in the White House and made arguments for freezing spending, and the, the reporters in the front row would immediately say, why are you cutting spending? Um, so the language is even set up to spend more money in Washington.
1: Yep. Uh, so-called current services baseline. I once, I once, many years ago, taught this uh, to our friend, the late uh, Rush Limbaugh, at a dinner. I don't know, it was in the early '90s or something, mid '90s. It's like going out. You, you you go out to buy a car. You tell your wife you're going to buy a seventy-five thousand dollar car. So you actually go out and buy a $50,000 car. In in Washington, that's regarded as a spending cut, even though you just spent 50 grand. Now, that that view, I don't know how you change that. I remember John Kasich tried to change that. You know, we had all these amendments down through the years where we were going to eliminate the current services or the CBO baseline, but none of it ever got through. But you're saying the better reality is to go for a freeze, just freeze it. And that's an interesting thought as part of the plan
0: that was built into part of our, you know, some of our proposals just because we knew we couldn't get even members of our own party to sometime agree to cuts. If you could free spending, get efficiencies, (laughs) speaking of efficiencies, I had a a conversation early on in my, uh, in my discussion with uh, someone at the Pentagon uh, about uh, spending over there. And I asked them uh, what they could do on efficiencies. You know, could they, could they save any money? And they said, well, you know, um, uh, last year, we set a goal for uh, for one uh, percent uh, uh, efficiency I- improvement, um, and we couldn't hit that. We couldn't hit that. So this year, our new goal is zero percent, and we're pretty we're pretty sure we can we can we can meet that one. So <laughs> right. If, if that's the attitude of the Defense Department, you know what it's going to be at the Department yeah. of Education, the Department of Commerce, you know the EPA. Washington yeah. is not set up to spend less. It's not set up to freeze spending. It's set up to grow every single year. And you're right. You have to change the culture. You have to change the discussion. Um, and maybe, maybe this new CBO report is shocking enough. It's gotten a good bit of press. Is shocking enough to sort of wake up even some conservative-leaning centrist Democrats to say, mm-hmm. wait a second, maybe spending a lot more money right now. It's not the, it's not the best thing. That, that's, that's a win for fiscal, um, f- fiscal conservatism between now and the election that we actually have a chance at.
1: Yeah, I mean, if spending is expected to be 24% of GDP, which is about four percentage points above the 50-year average, and and that's a big number, and somebody's got to look at that and say, wait a minute, we can't permit this. I mean, that is a gigantic gap between the future and the past. I mean, that's how far off we are in budgeting. Now, that leads me to my last point. And I think Newt has pushed this, and he has prompted us to go into this balanced budget exercise, this planning thing that Russ Vogt's, uh, uh doing with the America First Policy Institute. Um, I think, Mick, it's good to have a roadmap. I think it's good to have a, some sort of contract with America. Now, I know that Kevin McCarthy is developing one in the House. Mitch McConnell so far does not want one for the Senate. But, but let me just lay this on you. I don't think these things are necessarily great campaign weapons. I don't think the contract with America itself was a big campaign thing. I think, though, they're vitally important if you recapture, if the GOP recaptures both houses, if the cavalry does come, the cavalry needs a plan from day one. That's the point that I think um, Newt is making, and I think it's a good point.
0: It is, and listen, I got nothing but faith in Russ. he was a great director of the Office of Management and Budget and you know we used to describe Newt as an idea machine, I and mean, he'd come up with ten or twelve a day, just keeping up with him was 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 a full time job sometimes, so yeah, you're right, we need it not only to educate the public, we need to educate our own members a lot of right. a lot of members of Congress don't know how to talk about the economy, they don't know how to talk about deficits, and that's fine I mean, if you've got a military background or a education background you might not be familiar with things like percentage of gdp and all that we need to educate our own members so when they're out talking to the constituents we can start to change the culture in our party and maybe the culture nationwide um to where people don't want to spend a bunch of money because they now recognize that it costs them in inflation i saw there's an article yesterday about the democrats complaining that biden's proposed ten thousand dollar student loan cut wasn't Mm -hmm. enough and said go small get rid of it all and i'm like please let the Democrats. Run on that, because I Mm. think the American public is learning you cannot spend all of this money without having some inflation in the current environment. And um, that may help the Republicans politically, but also may help us change the discussion.
1: Well, that's the thing. The day after the election, after the celebrations, you have to have a roadmap. What to do? You cannot. I mean, if we capture both houses. Nick, and it's business as usual, and we're negotiating or talking about just little marginal changes, that's not going to work. In other words, somebody's got to come in uh, with a plan. Here's what we're going to do. To me, it's the planning exercise uh, as much or more than the uh, election exercise. You've got to be able to take the bit and just say, okay, here's where we're going to go. That I think is the point about the balanced budget uh, the
0: balanced budget plan yep, uh, we had a thing called Simpson Bowles
1: you know, yes. a decade and a half yes. ago, that we had yes. some
0: weaknesses in it because it had a bunch of tax increases, but yes. just going through that exercise is helpful. And I can't tell you, Larry, when we were on the floor of the House debating the budget back in two thousand and eleven and twelve. How many times, you know, members were able to go to that report, that Simpson-Bowles yep. report, because the work had already been done. Yep. Jeff, you and, and, and Rush doing is great. Keep it up.
1: Thank you, Mick Mulvaney. Terrific stuff. We need a big change in Washington. God, change the swamp. Make America stronger. Give us some growth. We're going to take a quick break. On the other side of the break, we're going to call about the energy crack-up right now. The energy crack-up and how to fix it. I'm Cudlow. Please stick around.